0: Hello. We're here today with Tracy Osborne of Wedding Lovely and Hello Web App. Uh, I'll let her talk about Wedding Lovely a little bit. Hello Web App is a book to help you do the development side of launching an app and doing some of the logistical things in there. So hello, Tracy. Welcome.
1: Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Uh, I guess the way to start out would be, let's Give me a little background on your career trajectory and arc, what led to Wedding Lovely, and then kind of talk a little bit about um, what Wedding Lovely is, and then we'll dive into all the really, really fun stuff.
1: Ha. Okay, cool. Um, I have an art degree, so I went through school for graphic design. I touched a little bit into computer science, and I was like, ugh. And so I went to art, and I thought that I wasn't going to touch the programming side of things. And then I kind of gradually fell back into, um, programming because after school I started work at a startup that was doing SEO stuff and, um, worked with them for a four and a half years, starting from a garage into an office. And that was really cool to work at the small startup because it taught me a lot about, uh, kind of teaching myself. There was only 13 people at this startup. Um, and after four and a half years, I was kind of like, well, I've learned a lot from working at this startup and and from being with these people. But I'm in the Bay Area. This was a startup. It's kind of getting a little tiring after four and a half years. So yeah, what if I started my own startup as you do when you're living in Silicon Valley? Everyone, their mother has a startup. So then there was a summer of doing some freelancing and I played briefly with trying to find a co-founder um, because as I had an art degree I didn't know programming. I was like, oh, I need to go find my technical co founder. And that lasted about three months. I actually got a Y Combinator interview with this person. Uh, but like the day before that interview, things exploded. And I was like, oh, this is why you don't get co founders from the internet. You actually aren't like compatible in that period of time. So long story short, at that point I decided to jump in. Into- Programming, um, taught myself Python and I launched a directory of wedding invitation designers. So, this is really how Wedding Lovely started. Not because, oh, oh, I want weddings, but it was like me as a graphic designer wanting to support other graphic designers, uh, people who are working with wedding invitations and wanting to have a place, something that was easy for me to program, which is a directory. Mm-hmm. Uh, get, make a place for people to find graphic designers to help them design their wedding invitations. I thought that would be a cool niche. So that's where the whole wedding thing started. And when this directory started taking off, I was like, well, I could just clone that directory and make one for planners. And I can clone that directory and make one for photographers. And that went for like, I did eight clones. These were not under one code base, which is, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that was really terrible. (laughs) Because when I had something new, I'd copy paste it between each of these project clones. And then... Uh, so this was, you know, Wedding Lovely has been eight years ago. So this is early times. Uh, now it's those clones have merged into one general vendor directory. Uh, those individual websites still exist. Weddinginvitelove.com is still a place where people to find wedding invitation designers. Um, but there's also one site that combines everything into one big vendor directory. And then the other side of the business now is there's a wedding planning app that I built to help shuttle people, you know, help them plan their wedding in a uh, more sustainable fashion. I wanted to have a place where I'm like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, ignore all the traditions and all this BS, really, that's in the wedding industry. Um, Use my planning app where I'm just I'm trying to be very real and down to earth and friendly with it. And then it also helps support the small businesses that we work with since they're included in that as well
0: okay and so it's kind
1: of monster
0: (laughs) Yep. no that's awesome well and I love the the progression on development and I think one of the things that I love hearing is so with programming there's so much people like want to put people down and you see all that and it's like you don't want to go to Stack Overflow or like ask questions (laughs) yeah and but to me like I love how naive we all are when we're getting started and it's like (laughs) oh i can just do this yeah and more often than not like if you just start and kind of do it things take shape even if it's painful and messy and wrong eventually you figure it out but you know it's it's if you know too much you're like oh i could never pull this off (laughs) whereas if you don't know (laughs) as much and you're learning as you go you kind of have the courage to be like yeah what the heck
1: yeah Uh, definitely i I taught myself how to code while building this like every time i I had a feature like, oh crap! i would go figure out how to code that feature. Uh, so then I would go and figure that out, and be like, oh wow! And then it take that what I learned and look at my old code and be like, oh crap! And then I go fix that. And it's just been this iterative process. Um, there's still things in there that are terrible, but it works. Yeah. So when I try to teach people how to code um, through a hello web app, a lot of it's like, sometimes at workshops I'll actually show the code base for writing Glovely because to even to people who don't program, they can look yeah. at it and they can see things that are, yeah. you know, that's things are being repeated, things are super wordy. Like they, they can see that it's awful but I'm like, hey, and yet I've been running this for eight years um, so you can code something and it won't look beautiful but if it works, that's all you really need to do. That's the only thing you need to do in order to launch something and start working on it.
0: Just well, see if it works. There's never really time to improve it but you have with most of these apps an eternity of, you know, you're, if it like a <laughs> sifter, like there was always time. And so, you know, every now and then if I needed a break, I'd circle back and fix something that I hated. Yeah. And you know, every now, it, it kind of it slows you down, but like in a way it feels better and it's reassuring. It's like, all right, I cleaned that up. And then it yeah. enables new, better features down the road and that kind of thing. So it's sometimes it's okay to get a little sloppy, I guess, in the beginning. Uh, I think the, the biggest challenge is just when you're getting sloppy and you don't realize it's sloppy. But it's another thing when you know what you're getting yourself into and you go, you know what, I'll I'll make this trade off now and I'll circle back when I'm, you know, when I need to.
1: One thing that helped is that I had friends that were news about security issues. So I was like, okay, (sighs) I know my code is horrible, but just make sure I'm not. Introducing some vulnerability, and there were a few like really stupid things back in the beginning of the mm-hmm. app. And my friends were like, "Oh, hey, you need to change that, otherwise people can, you know, delete other people's objects willy-nilly." Yeah. And like, oh, learning experience. So as long as I got, you know, having people I can be like, "Hey, I don't know anything. Just please check it for security issues." Actually, uh, was and really helpful.
0: I would say that's probably the biggest thing I think getting started is not being aware of that kind of stuff, and that's yeah. hard because there are people mm-hmm. that dedicate their whole careers to doing that, and know the ins and outs, and. Um yeah. that's certainly a challenge. Um uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh the thing so it's not traditional SAS. You're not no. charging subscriptions, um, but it's providing a healthy income. And you mentioned that it started out as being paid originally and yeah. you drifted away from that. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So the way Wedding Lovely makes money, um, a couple different buckets. Uh the primary way is by selling premium accounts to the small businesses that are on being lovely so they can opt in uh, I call it the certified lovely vendor uh, program so it sounds all lovely and sparkly and it's essentially a review process where me and my the people I work with review people's applications give them a stamp of approval and then they float to the top of the search results and all that so they that's how we make the majority of the money there's also affiliate links through our blog and sponsor posts and whatnot through our blog and then I always you know, wanted to monetize every part of the process as you naturally do, like, you know, get revenue coming in from multiple sources. So when the planning app started, it was like no brainer We're gonna charge for this wedding planning app that we launched. And I believe the pricing was $8 per month or a 70 or maybe 80, $79 flat fee. And it was a paid product for about a year and it was a very interesting like period of time. Um, the, also the app was a little bit different is that the app was help you plan your wedding and also build in a wedding website. Uh, and the wedding website was actually the most popular feature for people planning their wedding because they were like they're using this planning guide but they really wanted that wedding website which also blew my support requests through the roof because people who have a wedding website uh, and there was like, you know, they can change fonts, they can change colors, but then it's like, they're emailing me saying, Oh, can I add sparkles? Oh, I want to have extra images on my homepage. And then like every single person wanted something completely custom. And I started doing that and it just got overwhelming because at the time this was just me working on it. I think I had a, um, maybe a couple people, um, part-timers, but I was the only full-time person. And the other part about the planning app is that people were like, when you ha- you're in the wedding industry, there is so much free information out there because wedding blogs are such a huge thing and wedding magazines are so big and you're competing with people uh, who've kind of became brand names in weddings and you're trying to attract people who are just planning their wedding and first thing you do is you like start searching for wedding blogs. You go to these big brand names and they have their own free advice and if I got people onto Wedding Lovely and I said, hey, this is everything you need to track and plan your wedding, has all this great advice, uh, your life will be simpler, but it's $8 a month, people spending you know, $35,000 on their wedding were like, why would I pay $8 a month for your thing when I could just be looking at this free advice out there? The thing with weddings is that people aren't looking to save time. They're like a lot of people want to jump into weddings and build an app because they're like, oh my god, I'm gonna save someone so much time uh, with my planning app. But people don't want to save time; they want to have, like, have this reassurance that they're planning their wedding like the best way possible. They're they're they enjoy that time spent on planning their wedding, and if it takes more time to go out and read all these free articles, these really good free articles and free advice and free planners out there. Yeah, you know, why would they pay for an app? So that was when I talked to customers about why they would cancel or talk to people who, why they didn't show up. This was constantly the, that, thing I kept running up of, against was, you know, I can just spend more time by using free resources. So why would I pay for your app?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's a combination of every market, every audience and their needs. They aren't always rational or, <laughs> uh, or predictable. And especially with consumers, it's just difficult. Um, Even though they're in a mindset of spending money, uh, it's not, this isn't money that's going to show up at their wedding.
1: Yeah. uh, And, you know, there's a psychological thing where you're, when you say, you know, I'm going to save money by not spending money on that app, but they're still spending, you know, $10,000 on a venue. But hey, at least they save money at this other place. You have to get over that, that. that urge to try to save money in these small areas because it makes them feel better overall.
0: So you talked about support a little bit. How much (laughs) time at that point were you spending on support versus, I I guess it sounds like you're, that's probably not a feature you're offering anymore. And so how has that changed support and the the time and the investment you have to spend on that front?
1: Yeah. Uh, So the app was making, uh making money, and people were using a wedding website. And I was getting a lot of people saying how much they loved my wedding website feature I built into there. But that support was just murdering me. And you know, before with my customers being businesses, um I don't want to go into cliches about the whole bride and groom people being bitchy versus businesses. But I mean, really, they're a harder customer to please and talk to because you know the process of planning wedding is very stressful. And then talking to small businesses, support requests were way better because small businesses are naturally a little more understanding where I'm like, hey, you know, things screwed up. I did this. And people are like, oh yeah, that's totally fine. Like it's a different like dialogue between businesses. It's a lot more friendly. It's a lot I like it a lot more. Um just saves my mental mentality. So the support requests for the brides and grooms are kind of driving me up a wall um and spending a lot of time. So I made a decision that I valued these businesses. I thought these businesses would be better for me to work on long term. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was a VC, I have VC money, but I didn't end up raising anything more. So it was moved back to bootstrapping. If I had like, you know, a 32 person team under me, I could totally handle the support requests and build the product that people want me to build. Yeah. But if it was going to be just me and maybe a couple part time people under me, then I needed to put the. Business in a sustainable place, which was working with businesses only and cut out these support requests. So I ended up, and then uh, by making a the planning app free, I would also maximize the amount of people using the planning app, and then moving on to working with those businesses I work with. So I give a better um, better value to those businesses. So I ended up ripping out the wedding website, and it was odd. The, It was hard to code this again, which was like, okay, all people after this date get access to these features. And all these people after this date, all these features have to disappear. But I set it up. So, you know, the wedding website part didn't exist anymore. I did a partnership with another wedding website company, um, saying, okay, Hey, you get a discount on wedding websites to this company, but we're not offering this anymore. Previous people will be supported, um, made the app free and decided to just, Cut off that chunk of revenue, but overall it made my life uh, so much simpler. And you know, long term, people don't even remember that it was paid anymore.
0: Well, in, in hindsight, I'm sure looking back on that, it's oh, such an obvious, easy decision. I'm guessing <laughs> it probably wasn't as easy of a decision in the moment to make such a shift like that. You, I mean, did you debate that for a while, or does it just kind of?
1: Um, honestly, I actually think I just like rage quit. So it wasn't that hard of a of a question. It was just kind of things were building up for a while. Also, when I was building the planning app, I was trying to fundraise. And so having this stars and rosy view of, oh, we're going to make so much money on this planning app. Um, and here's where it could evolve. I, I pushed it really hard and then we didn't raise. Uh, so then I went back to that bootstrapping model. And then it was just like, you know, I'm done with this. And I think this is like a period. There's been periods of time of working on this. Because over eight years, where I've gone very frustrated, and I think that was a period where I was just like, you know what, flipping the table, changing the way this is working, um, going back to the small business part of the company largely runs itself. So maybe around this time is also when I started working on Hello Web App. I don't quite remember when that came in, but the books came about a time of my life I needed to have something else positive to focus on because I was getting really frustrated by the way that wedding lovely was going
0: so in terms of hours a day what would you say it was before versus now on support
1: oh interesting i am uh i would it's i hesitate to say this because it's probably not going to sound like that much it's probably only like three hours of emails in the morning but you know when it's i have lot, to man. do so do yeah <laughs> yeah marketing and sales and also yeah. design and development it was just kind of like this is ridiculous i don't enjoy this
0: yeah okay and so that but that was before or that's current
1: the support? That was before, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, now it's kind of weird um, because one of the best decisions I ever made for running Wedding Lovely is I hired a virtual assistant, which just sounds so Tim Ferriss for our work week. Uh, <laughs> but I actually hired a Philippines-based virtual assistant who does support for the businesses um, that I work with now. and So I don't touch support, which is like, oh my gosh, it's so much better. Life is so much easier. Because most of these support requests were just the same thing over and over. It's like, oh, what's my password? Like, how do I change my username? Uh, I can't figure out how to add an image. And I was like, even though I had canned responses for each one of these scenarios.
0: It's, It's a distraction.
1: Yeah, just having someone else. I'm like, here's the canned responses. You deal with them. I should have hired this virtual assistant five years ago. Um, We've been working for, she's been working for me full time for about a year, um, paying her $500 a month. Uh, As far as I can tell, she's super happy about working with me. I love working with her. Oh my gosh, like, hire a virtual assistant. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, that's, that's something I regretted with Sifter. And it it wasn't so much the volume of support requests. For me, I was always afraid, like, they're moderately technical, right? And you're just developers Mm and, uh, it was a struggle. I was like, "Well, how am I going to find somebody who understands their context?" And so that was my fear: was I couldn't just hire a you know virtual assistant. I had to hire somebody who knows development, right. and yeah. it would be much more difficult uh, because by the time you know and have that experience, the last thing you want to do is be a support person. So <laughs> um, yeah, but in, so. yeah, it, it can be such a distraction. Just the 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 intermittent kind of interruptions or, you know, so it's it's definitely hard to to juggle that and it takes away from the time that you should be spending.
1: So it's funny is that the intermittent distractions, I have a new, uh, I wouldn't call it an issue, but I have my virtual assistant, I have another part-time person that's been working with me for like six years uh, in Washington and then I just hired, um, I hired a old, Part-time employee that had to leave because she needed full-time and I couldn't afford it This is like two years ago and then she messaged me in January being like I want to come back even if it's part-time And I'm like well, we still can't afford full-time But how about I just I'm actually not paying myself for wedding lovely right now I took what I was paying myself and I'm selling to her and she's Because I'm in the middle of writing another book and I was again going through that period of being burnt out And I'm like here you run the company and I'll help you So her and then my two other assistants are kind of running Wedding Lovely for me right now, but it still means like throughout the day I get them pinging me, being like, we don't understand how to deal with this solution. Like it's getting better since January, but it's still, now I'm like struggling with like internal company support. I've never had a team under me like this before. So I've been learning a lot about, oh wait, now I have to manage um, and I'm not being paid for it, but that's okay because I love my little product and it's surviving. By doing this,
0: as as the companies evolve, the problems don't go away; they just change. (laughs) Yeah, I think is uh, is all it is. Um, I mean, kind
1: of trying to right now. This last month has been trying to encourage my my right hand woman. I'm like, you can make more decisions on your own without asking me. I trust you, and just getting over that little hump.
0: Yeah, it's tough. You know, it's a transition, and I think it's easy I was scared of that transition I was like I don't I can't I don't have time to hire somebody to help me <laughs> yeah. and the thing is you almost don't have time not to but yeah. it's still a scary kind of uh, how would it work and but everybody I've and, talked to who's done it has always said really really good things so
1: yeah and it's it's cool when I see the email thread between the three of them there's a problem and they start solving it without me and I'm like oh it's so awesome like I can spend more time on my book looking at this, like, and then problems are being solved and I'm watching other people work on them. It's actually this really cool feeling.
0: Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so then now, I guess now you're kind of shifting away from it. How does your time break down now uh versus, or I guess really just, I guess before you did that and then now, how are you splitting up your time? Is it purely focused on the book? Are you m- mixing in with other things? How's it?
1: Yeah. Like every morning, it's always probably about an email, like an hour of working on emails. Um, usually through Wedding Lovely and answering questions for my team. Uh, writing is really hard for me. So I like yesterday, I got nothing done. I guess I got some things done. But like, I wish I could be like, yeah, every day is like two hours of emails and then six hours of straight writing. Yeah, but I was kind of just walking in circles around my apartment, not doing anything. <laughs> Mostly new Like whenever there's like political news going on, I just can't <laughs> focus. And so like today is probably going to be another bad day yeah. for me. Regardless of it's that. Hard. Yeah. So now I'm trying to spend more of my time. I'm trying to get this... One of the reasons why I've like okay, I need to stop focusing on wedding lovely because it's going fine on its own is because I had this idea for this book, this design book. Um, I've been talking it up for like two years, and I just was not releasing it I kept doing this conference talk being like oh yeah I have this book upcoming and people like that sounds awesome and then like half a year later I'm like still haven't started working on it so I'm trying to force myself to get a the first draft is finished I have an editor now hopefully by summer it is out and then I'll probably move into you know supporting these books and helping sell them but jumping back into Wedding Lovely more and continue working on it in design and development like right now no major features are being worked on but I have a gigantic list of things that I want to build so probably when this book is out and I can focus on it I'm gonna jump back over probably not be paid for it but that's I don't know I like I want to see it succeed so yeah. <laughs> I'll just continue building well, on it
0: it's it's funny that you talk about um, that and like not getting paid I mean I'm, I'm presumably if you were just doing it full-time by yourself you would be deriving a full-time income yeah safe to well say.
1: Yeah, this year, since I fired myself, Wedding Lovely is doing way better. I've never been like a full-time salary that I could get as a developer or even as a designer. Uh, I would never have gotten that in previous years. Um, One of the reasons why Pillow Web App was good because it brought in um, income. I also had the really lucky deal when I was in San Jose where... Like, this sounds really lucky. There was a long story um, where I had no rent in San Jose. So I was able to focus on building these things while I had to worry about spending out you know, yeah. 1500 a month on rent. Um, I live in Toronto. I have rent again. Uh, but I was lucky that I was able to work off of a very low salary to mm-hmm. just futz on this, play with it, and get it going. Um, wedding loving now, I could actually make a good salary um, if I showed all the money to me. Yeah. Uh, so I probably would. Pay myself a little bit, um, make sure there's no profit at the end of the year. Uh, to play that game. Well,
0: every everybody glorifies and says, Oh, you have your own business, you know, you must be so successful. And like ha. so many of the businesses, like the thing is you're just shuffling the money back into the business yeah. to grow it. <laughs> I don't think I paid myself what could arguably considered market rate until about six years in. And yeah. So you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's neat. Theoretically, I could pay myself more, but like, you want to grow the business and invest in the business, and so.
1: And it's also if you can have pay yourself less and have freedom to you know mid afternoon go to the market rather than being stuck at a desk. Like I Mm -hmm. much rather work for myself at a much lower salary um, than have a full time job. I played with that last summer. I got a full time job, and. Four months after working at this job, I was laid off because they have budget issues. But I was I was very happy to be laid off. Um yeah. and I was like, okay, full full time job. As much as night has I had a great salary and that was awesome. But when the day I got laid off was like the happiest day. I was yeah. like, cool, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. I I like working for myself. I like picking my own hours. Um I like working on this app. I like seeing it grow and see people use it. even uh, a runaway success like anyone looking at wedding lovely i'm sure could have a billion ideas like why aren't you doing this like it would be so simple if you did something else Uh, you know i i have a really loosey-goosey feel about it and kind of as long as i'm happy working on it um i'm not going to stress out too much about what i'm not doing or how much bigger it could be
0: yeah no that's huge Uh, i think a Mm -hmm. lot of people too get carried away uh, thinking that you know they're gonna launch something that's gonna take off and they're just gonna sit back and cash checks <laughs> and uh, yeah. but everybody I talk to like it it is almost never every now and then it happens like that but even some yeah. of those stories you know there was two years before they took off where it was really really painful so
1: yeah you can't count on it um I try yeah you know, again with hello web app I try to teach people how to my goal was to help people build web apps because yeah. I've really enjoy the process of, of building this web app. And I was the actual process to get a launch was pretty simple. And I was like, well, I might as well just write a book on this because it was pretty simple. And I can put it into a very tiny book. And at the end of the book, people will have a web app. Like they won't know how to code, which is fine, in my opinion, because like I said, I learned how to code by building my app. So I figured I can teach people how to build their own app. They can teach themselves to code by building something real. I think it'll stick better, at least it did for me. Um, But also try to like i also do a conference talk called marketing for developers and one of the big things is like you got to do marketing cuz a lot of people are like how do i go viral or like what will happen when people see my app and i'm like P- you're not going to go viral people aren't going to see what you build so then there's this
0: whole other yeah. process
1: of you can build a web app but now what how do you get
0: people to see it and and as developers none of us want to do the marketing no at all right <laughs> we just want to build the web app Yeah, and then
1: just like sit back, wait for the money to come in.
0: Yeah, marketing is definitely, I feel like that's the one undervalued skill for designers even too, designers and developers Mm -hmm. building. Um, Everybody thinks, oh, well, if I just build a good product, then I don't have to market. And I think it was, I don't know if it was Steve Jobs or whoever, but it was uh, marketing is the price you pay for, uh, the tax you pay for developing or building a, a bad product. Oh, yeah. That's right. a good one. I and should keep that. So, but then everybody thinks, oh, well, if I just build a good product, then I don't have to market. And it's like, but even yeah. Apple is marketing.
1: I was having an argument yesterday with someone about how simple it would be to launch something in the wedding industry, and I was like, well, how are you going to get customers? Because if you build something in weddings, you have to get customers, new customers, whole new Constantly. set of new customers, pretty much year after year after year, which yeah. is what kills wedding apps. And he's like, well, it you know, it'll be word of mouth, you know. <laughs> People who use my app are going to love it, and they're going to tell people, and it's gonna. I'm just going to grow from word of mouth. I'm like, no, you're not. Like people also in weddings, I was like PTSD after a wedding is done. Like right. no one wants to talk about how they did their wedding, what apps they use, and share There's that information with their friends and family because they don't want to think about it anymore. Like there. word of mouth is not going to happen.
0: Yeah. yeah. So moving on to some of the more challenging things, uh, I've got a few questions along these lines. What's been the toughest day? Uh, that you've encountered with the business and kind of how did you get through? What what was the day and then how did you get through it?
1: So about, so Wedding Lovely launched in 2010. 2011, I went through a 500 Startups um, uh, incubator program. So they offered to fund me and I, just, I, I was doing bootstrap business and I was like, you know what, I'm going to switch it over to a VC business. So I went through five startups. And then a very, very awesome person was like, I want to be your co founder. And I was like, boom, I am doing things right. And then Etsy came to me, um, offering, uh, went to do the acquiring process. And I was just like, on top of the world. Like I just went through five startups. I was, I have a new, amazing, amazing co founder. Um, going to Etsy, being flown to Etsy and staying in this really fancy hotel and meeting all the like the heads of Etsy and I got the offer from Etsy and this is where things just started going downhill because the offer from Etsy, uh, all of my advisors, like doing this acquisition process, of course, I went to other people being like, you've been acquired, please help me put my advisor and all the advisors were like, that is a shit offer and there's no way you should take it. So I turned on Etsy's offer, tried to negotiate. They were just like, nope, bye. And then right my co-founder and I were like, let's try to build this business. But like four months later, she sat down and was like, no, I'm out. I, I have a new job, I'm starting tomorrow, which was really shitty. So that was like the lowest, absolute positive point where I screwed up this momentum after demo day by pursuing this acquisition. Like, So I didn't fundraise immediately after demo day, which is where the momentum is, um, turned down the acquisition. And then this, part, this person who was supposed to be my partner After, I think she was at Wedding Lovely less than a year. Um, Wasn't like, hey, we're having problems. Let's talk about this. It was literally like, I have a new job. I'm leaving. Like, this is my last day. Yeah. Uh, So much depression. Like, I don't think I did anything for the following month. Um, I had already laid off the employee that we had um, due to budget issues. And so it was just me. She left. It was just me. And, you know, I was lucky that Wedding Lovely was working at these businesses and that it kind of ran itself because I just, I don't know what I did. I do not even remember. It was terrible. I think it was during, like, during December. So maybe I just, like, got distracted with family and just ran off. Um, and I think it was only a few months later where I was like, okay, maybe I'll actually start adding more features and working on this again. Uh, it's It was a really tough period to have this person that was supposed to partner with me and said, I believe in you just to be, like, I don't believe you with you yeah. in what you're doing at all yeah that was you know, like
0: well, and that like that's five. the situation where it would be so easy to just give up.
1: yeah, and it's kind of funny looking back on that. And I'm like, I could have just really easily shut down and started on something. Uh, but it was throwing me money.
0: <laughs> I yeah. still was
1: being paid from it. I think I, my salary was twenty k, so not that much, but again, I didn't yeah. have rents. So I was like, well, I might as well just go do whatever I did during that time and just enjoy having you know an extra five hundred dollars every couple of weeks um, yeah. to keep things afloat. Yeah, it's. I, I could have shut down. And a lot of times I'm like, wow, if I shut down this four years ago, who knows what my life would have been? I could have started another or joined another startup as a designer. I could have started my another, another thing. I have so many ideas I've wanted to build that I haven't built yet. But, you know, in hindsight, it's always 2020.
0: Yeah, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. So, have there been plateaus in growth that you've had to break through? And if so, kind of how did you break through them? Was it a certain strategy? Was it just time and tenacity?
1: Yeah, it's always been growing slow, even when, even during the excited points where we had like VC funding and all this other stuff. Um, and that's one of the things that's always been hard for me because, like, every time I look at the growth graph, I'm like, "Oh, we're just at that moment where it's going to go that rocket ship." And that rocket ship has always just been like this constant, steady, yeah. like uphill slog. And then the other problem is like with working these businesses and doing this marketplace when I'm I'm saying, hey, I'm going to help you find your vendor. Uh, When we first started, when I first launched that that first directory, it was 10 people on it. So it's useless. And so with the marketplace where it's like, oh, okay, we just hit 8,000 vendors. Now it's really useful to people. Now it'll take off. So a lot of it was me saying, okay, I don't have this explosive growth, but I also don't have this the number of vendors in the directory that would support the supports like i don't know maybe i'm just fooling myself but it was this constant like it's okay like uh, maybe it'll happen oops uh later on uh so in terms of plateaus i guess plateaus really have been just mental plateaus for me um you know going through these like periods of depression where things didn't go too well um and then somehow being like okay cool i'm gonna start working on this again um and then vendors Every time i think about quitting vendors send a, send me a really nice email talking about how awesome it is yeah which is like totally like oh okay cool i'm going to continue working on this well, a little bit more
0: that's a really key point i think because when you're running a business or really doing anything the only people you hear from are the people who are almost satisfied <laughs> because the people yeah. who are completely not satisfied don't care and aren't going to take the time and the people who are satisfied aren't going to bother or they're going to, you know, email you and make a request. Nobody ever, not nobody, but, you know, one in 50 will email you and tell you, this is really great. It solved all my problems. Um, Yeah. And so you just don't hear from them because they're happy and they're focused on doing their thing, which makes sense. But as a business owner, it's so hard to force yourself to remember that and to say, you know what, there are people using this and paying for it and appreciating it and getting value out of it because you don't hear from them.
1: Yeah, one of the best things I've ever did actually was changing my autoresponder emails. Once when, when a business signs up for Wedding Lovely, they get opted into you know a Mailchimp autoresponder like you know every you know one week, two weeks, six months, etc. And I switched them over from HTML, very newslettery looking emails to things that look like personal letters from me, mm-hmm. and that has like the amount of people that respond to those, even just to say oh thanks for the information, has gone way up, which has been so great for like mental. Feeling like you're doing something awesome yeah. by having these like these random little responses. Like I, I am so happy that I switched it over to this. These plain text, very like, hey, by the way, did you know you can add another image? Um, I know a lot of other product people have been talking about that, and I'm just going to jump on that pile and say yeah, like, don't use HTML emails. Just write something that looks like it's a human.
0: I did the same for Sift. I did it with just one email though, that um, and originally I sent it out by hand and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The eventually it got to the point where I I automated it. It was still plain text, but generally and this was I was way on top of it. Like I would reply within (laughs) five minutes to that email. And uh, there was even one time where somebody asked me, they're like, is this automated? And I replied back, nope, you know, it's it's real. There's a human on the other end. And then, mm-hmm. like, he kept poking and testing because he thought it was, like, this whole...
1: <laughs> a really, really smart yeah, automation. Yeah,
0: really. And I'm like, no, this is <laughs> legit. Like, what can I do to prove it to you? And uh, he's like, wow. He's like, that's really fast. Like, because it was too fast. He didn't believe it could be real. Um, so, anyways, yeah, yeah. I completely... I had that same same response. And that... it. it to me, the whole goal was just to create an interaction and make it so people realized that I was approachable and they could ask for things and, and request features and share ideas and whatever. And yeah, it took that me really helped.
1: a long time to move off of Gmail for everything. There's this new app and I'm not being paid by them. I just started using yeah. them. It's called Front. And it's the first like, uh, like support software that doesn't, like not first, probably other ones, but the first one I've used that didn't make it obvious that it, like responses were coming from a support software. Mm-hmm. So I was able to set up. Like all of our random emails, like hi at and um, like hello at, uh, so that you know the first assistant and then the two other, I call them minions lovingly. Two other minions I work with. Like you can see when someone's going to respond for something, but when they respond, it's not like you know that dot 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 respond above this line or something that looks really fake. I I use Gmail and just used filters, and we all kind of coordinate for so long because I wanted. To have it yep. look like, hey, we are actually responding to your email. We're not some, you know, <laughs> I, I say, like, we're not some foreigners in a different country. Except, again, my virtual mm-hmm. assistant is in the Philippines. But she's amazing um, and awesome person and uh, not some random support staff I've hired. She's a full member of Wedding Lovely. But it looks like this this app is a lot of money. But it's the first, like, support app I've used that, I've, that has that. Real email feel.
0: Help Scout works that same way. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that's what I used with Sifter, and it was that was the selling point for me. It was the same thing. Yeah, it was like it was a human app. It didn't feel like you know. Yeah,
1: there's so many out there. Like how many? so many support apps out there that don't do that? And it's like, like when you get that email back it's like respond above this line there's, it's like oh
0: there's nothing I dread more than <laughs> yeah. getting a response from Zendesk as a customer of yeah. a company <laughs> and then it's from Zendesk and I'm like crap like yeah, I'm just this is going to be lost they're not going to care yep. it, it immediately sours and scares me away
1: yeah that was one of the things that was really important for me for Wedding Lovely is because there's so many wedding businesses out there that are very yeah. faceless well, You have to
0: be right if you're yeah. doing consumer stuff you can't scale by, yeah, you know, handholding everybody. So
1: yeah. So I want like I use a lot of like smiley faces. And it's like actually in our brand guidelines internally. That's like smiley faces and exclamation points. And we're gonna like when we make a mistake, it's gonna be like, hey, we screwed up and it's gonna be human. And so the businesses I work with um, and consumers are both like, oh, you can actually talk to a real person. Actually, there's like a um in the planning app, I have this little box that says, If you have any questions about venue, send it in, and we'll reach out to our business partners. And very few people use it. It's very. I need to like. I hope more people use it. It would increase my amount of support I get. But it's always fun when someone's like, "Hey, I'm trying to decide between these two venues, and I have these vendors I work with, so I could message them in the area. I'm like, Hey, do what's your opinion between these two venues? And they respond back, and I send that feedback over to the to the consumer and they're like this is amazing and then the businesses are like this is really cool we interacted with wedding lovely and they it increases their appreciation for my company and it's like this win-win-win process um i need to get more people using that but that that whole like acting like a human helping people plan their wedding has been really important to me
0: and and i think a lot of people too are almost scared of being too tiny right they're afraid people (laughs) won't trust them if it's a small business and i think the reality is like if we all think about it we enjoy interacting with small businesses because, you know, I guess with technology, there's some fear there and trepidation because if you're too small, like, how can you be doing things right? <laughs> um, but in general, for support and that kind of thing, to know that you can talk directly with the team running it, there's there's a connection there that you can't replicate, and the big companies yeah. can't compete with. And there's a lot of people that certainly appreciate that. So it's 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 not a bad thing to reveal like we're not some <laughs> huge faceless corporation.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I just did a big update to the back end of Wedding Lovely. And I sent a message out to all my customers. Like, hey, I did this huge update. You can't see anything because it's all in the back end. But I was like, hey, but some things might be acting wonky because i might not have found all the bugs. And there were bugs. And they would email back, email me and be like, hey, this isn't working. And I'm like, hi. you know, If I haven't talked to them before, I'm like, hi, I'm the founder of Wedding Lovely. I also coded this. So it's my fault. Uh, but I'm working on it. And they're like, oh, that's funny. You know, we able to say like, hey, I'm the one who actually built this. And I'm sorry because I broke it.
0: People are incredibly understanding. Yeah. So we kind of run a little long. But uh, <laughs> I've got a couple more um, and And really, they're kind of they kind of go hand in hand. But uh, if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing okay, before at the very, very beginning of all of this and know that you would listen to yourself, ha uh, whether it's something like watch out for this or go invest time to learn this, be prepared for this, what would that be?
1: Uh, I love Etsy and that acquisition process was really fun to go through, but it that was like the turning point for my company as I mentioned before. Um, and I would be like, when it comes to acquisitions, like it it's it's super cool when someone as awesome as Etsy comes to your company and says, "Hey, we're interested in maybe buying you." And it's like, "Boom! Oh my god, amazing." If I was able to upfront be like, "Also, I can't accept anything lower than this," it would have saved me so much time and that momentum my company wouldn't have dropped. Like I always look back at that moment of just getting feeling like, "Oh my god, this is it. I'm going to be acquired by Etsy." And not really thinking about what would happen if we weren't? Mm-hmm. I think I've I I wish I was more suspicious. I wish I, I, I. It would be nice not going through the process, but at least just being upfront about making sure expectations under the right level um, would have,
0: yeah,
1: changed probably the entire direction of this company. Uh, that would be one. And the other one would be I did this. I talked about it at MicroConf last year where I launched Wedding Lovely as a bootstrap business. I'm like, yeah, I'm not. And I started making money. Like I I put in paying features um, pretty early on. But if you want to build a business that's VC backed, it's a lot better we don't have money. Because you have they, they can't like point at any numbers and be like, well, why aren't you making more? When you're not making money yet, it's like sky's the limit. And it's like all is imagination. So I went bootstrapping and then I went through 500 Startups raise VC, and then I went back to bootstrapping, and then later on, someone, uh investor came to me being like, I believe in you. Here's a $20,000 check, and I was like, oh, and I got stars in my eyes again, and I took it, and I'm like, I'm going to fundraise again, which four years after a company starts is a terrible time to fundraise, because A, I had numbers that people can point at, and then B, it's like, if you're not successful in four years, why would you be now? Yeah. So that fundraising kind of failed. I took, you know, I kept that $20,000, and she's an investor with me, but... I know she's disappointed in me. So, that flip flopping, like when you start a business, you can like flip flop once, but don't go back and forth. Because every time I switched, like the way you build a bootstrap business versus a VC business are so different.
0: different,
1: And every time I switched, I like put the brakes on stuff and turned a different direction. And then everything got jumbled. So, it would be like, hey, pick one and stay with it.
0: And so, the, the next question. Is if you were starting over again today, would you still do wedding lovely, or would you go in a totally different direction?
1: <laughs> I love wedding lovely. I would. I'm not a weddings person. <laughs> I like working with small businesses. It's. I got married a few years ago and I eloped in Vegas because I was like, eh, I'm not going <laughs> to deal with this wedding stuff. And I sent a message to the vendors I mm. work with, being like, Oh, cool, I got married. Because again, the whole like being human with them. And a lot of the message me like. Really, you got you eloped? Like you, I could have. I had this opportunity where I (laughs) could have worked with the businesses.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I could have. A lot of wedding businesses do this, where they partner with their wedding businesses. They get a deep discount on, on, services from these partner wedding businesses because they turn into this cupcake beautiful affair, and then those images go onto wedding blogs, and then everyone gets the traffic from that. Mm -hmm. I had this opportunity to not really exploit, but do that. Yeah, my. My husband's wedding ring is actually a free wedding ring, um, wedding band. Like it was less than a hundred dollars worth. Uh, but we were—I was interviewing this uh, jeweler, and he's like, "Oh, cool! You can have this wedding band. Like you're engaged. Here you go." I'm like, cool, free stuff. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I—I I, not a wedding person. Um, I—I I eloped. Uh, being in the wedding industry has been very frustrating because that customer acquisition year over year, um, mm-hmm. is such a weird. Business that I probably would choose something completely different. My life would be a lot simpler, but I'm here now and I'm stubborn, so might as well just keep running it, even though, yeah, I'm not really running it right now. I have my minions,
0: yeah, right on. Okay, yeah. well, so that's all I've got. Uh, thanks for being on. This is been really awesome, and yeah. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here, so it should be fun.
1: Awesome, I love talking about how much of not a huge success I am.
0: <laughs> no, no, but it's so like. It's so easy for people to get caught up on whether they're a relative success in the larger market. But, like, that's not – to me, that's not the point, right? It's getting people to have the confidence and be able to kind of set their expectations correctly, to be ready to stick it out in the long run, right? Because so many people have outsized expectations, and then they give up too soon, or they never even start. And I think there's a lot to be said for – helping people anticipate that pain and say, oh, wait, yeah, that's going to suck, but I can handle that when I get there. Like (laughs) things are going to go wrong. And the more we all learn from where we all went wrong, whether it was chasing an acquisition or whatever it was, then the next person to be like, all right, I know to be a little more skeptical now. And that can make a world of difference because (laughs) that next person now might say, you know what, I need this amount to even talk to you. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, we're not even going to come close to that. Cool. You just save yourself a bunch of time. You can yeah. focus on your product. Um, yeah. And so I think there's just too much hidden wisdom because we hear, we go through all these pains and we don't share them enough. Uh, so. Yeah. I think there's a yeah. lot of that. And that's good. And there's a
1: lot of stuff you only learn when you go through it. Right. I'll probably make the same mistakes again because it's, you know, when you get that stars in your eye, everything, nothing can go wrong type feeling. then you just, <laughs> it's hard to get over that feeling too.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. But hopefully this will help. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course.